Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Welcome to the Frontline Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lake, and I'm super excited for today's episode. We've got a great guest. Today's guest is the President and Chief Operating Officer of Smart Care Equipment Solutions. Please welcome to the show, Giener Osgill. Hello, Giener. Justin, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining. We had such a great conversation on our prep call. I was so honored to have gotten a chance to meet you and hear a little bit about uh, your past and the things that you're doing today and your leadership yeah. style. So I can't wait to let our guests in on, on some of the great uh, feedback that you're going to offer us today. Before we get started on all of that, I want to ask yep. you the, the big question that we start every show with, which is, what do you think is the biggest challenge facing the deskless frontline workforce today? Um, the intersection of technology and constraining workforces. Um, I think there is an assumption that all frontline workforces want to engage technology positively, um, and that's not necessarily the case. Um, and part of that is because organizations haven't really thought through the cultural impact, the change management that's needed that comes with technology being introduced into their workforces and what it means for them. So making that just a little bit tangible, you know, our technicians have... A, we, we did a pilot a number of years back on a knowledge base, right? Because every technician has their little tool, you know, their little notebook in their little pocket. And that's their decades of knowledge of notes, right? And hints and tricks. And uh, we thought, hey, we can uh, build a knowledge base and let's pilot that and see if we can use, capture some of that knowledge and feed it back. And um, we got some pushback, right? Because to them, their knowledge is, the one valuable thing they have that they've earned their right to. And, you know, this technology became a conflict with that. So I think as we kind of move further and further into technology in these frontline worker spaces, being aware enough of the cultural impacts and the change management that has to come with it is one of the largest um, things I think that will come forward even more from a frontline standpoint. You've already triggered a bunch of additional questions that I don't even have on my list right now. So we're going to need to come back to a couple of those things because what you just described, I've often um, described it similarly, but different in that to many of these um, field techs, they view that knowledge as almost like currency in their yeah. organization, right? And I, I want to talk a little bit more about that, but let's let's give the audience a chance to to get to know who they're hearing from today. Why don't you give us a little bit about your background? And I know you have a very interesting start for uh, your career. So tell us all about that. Sure. Uh, Keener Osgill. Um, as you said, I'm the President and Chief Operating Officer of Smart Care Equipment Solutions. I'll start with where I am today. Um, we currently um, self-perform repairs to commercial kitchens across America. So not only restaurants where everybody de facto's to with commercial kitchens, but also um, stadiums, universities, hospitals, educational facilities. Um, we do things where there's an experience of people to be fed, is how I say it, um, in terms of how we think about the business. 
Uh, Career-wise, uh, I started as a frontline worker myself. I mean, I my first summer job was a stock boy because that's all you could do because they wouldn't even give you a box cutter knife um, at 14, 15 years old. Uh, but more importantly, as soon as I turned 16, I, I got my first job as a, a quick service restaurant worker in the Burger King world um, as an hourly employee. And I worked up the chain there to uh, a director of operations. And that was kind of my first career. And then I came here. Um, which at the time was owned by, uh, Smart Gear was owned by a company called Ecolab back in the early 2000s. Uh, I was a service manager for the city of Chicago. I had 12 technicians. Um, so I managed those frontline workers all the time. It was, at, it was a union environment at the time. So really akin to the frontline worker piece of it. Uh, my dad worked in restaurants and in manufacturing uh, in the U.S. So I've been exposed to the hourly workforce or the frontline workforce for a really long time. And I feel very passionate about them because I got to see my dad growing up. And um, I know a lot of the angst that comes with that and, you know, their mission to, to really bring value back home to their families. Um, but as I here, I started as a service manager, um, became a regional director of service. We called it AVP at the time um, and then moved on into kind of project management which is our supply chain and parts business. So I got to run and uh, figure out parts logistics, which I never thought I'd do, but it was a lot of fun. I, I, it, was, it was a great time. I got to build a great team, uh, many of which are still here and probably will listen to this podcast. I love those guys. Uh, we had a real fun time doing that. Um, but I learned a lot about warehouse spaces. And when you hear things about how hot it is and how complicated it is in a warehouse, I got to learn about that. And all of it's true. And no matter how big the fan is in the ceiling, it doesn't cool it enough. I'll just I'll just say that to everybody. Agreed. Um, came back to service back in 2016. Um, and since then, I progressively picked up um, all of our national service footprint. So all the field service technicians and the operational organizations with those technicians, as well as our um, technology team, our safety team, and our supply chain teams reporting through myself. Wow. I have to ask right out of the gate, t tell me how your experience with both you and watching your dad, mm -hmm. how has that affected you? And I mean, you're in a very senior leadership position now. W what are the things that you experienced back then that maybe you still hold on to that affect how you lead your teams today? Um, so on my desktop, on my computer, there is a picture of um, me and my dad and one of my relatives, because my dad was working in a family-owned restaurant at the time. I was probably seven or eight years old. Um, and I'm literally like hip high to him. And um, I look at the picture a couple times a week. Uh, and that's a long way of answering your question to say it's very humbling for me. And that picture reminds me every single time where I came from. And what I saw with my dad being a frontline worker himself um, growing up, right? So, you know, this executive hat or this title I wear, I almost wish I didn't have it at times. And I usually introduce myself to people without it, to be quite frank, because immediately it puts them on guard and I don't want that. I really want to get to know the people I interact with and I want them to get to know me, right? Before the title ever exists, it's more about understanding and that picture and, you know, seeing my dad, it humbles me a lot in terms of where I'm at today. Were there any mistakes that were made 
in the organizations that you worked on earlier in your career, or maybe things that you witnessed with your dad that you vow to not make in an organization now that you're in a position to, to decide how things should be run? The number one thing for me is I don't want it to feel like I'm not accessible. And I saw a lot of that in a combination of both areas, my dad and me working in, in a number of different organizations where the further you got up the line, the less accessible you were to the where you came from, essentially, that bridge. Yeah. Um, and you and I talked a, a number of weeks ago. I feel very passionate about that. So I have my monthly town halls with my technicians, and it's completely open-ended. Um, I do some fun stuff at the beginning with them where I might reconnect on what we talked about last month. At times, it's not always. Uh, most of the time is hey, ask me what you want to ask me about the organization. There are no managers invited. Um, Once in a while, I might invite our training manager, and that's just because they have a lot of detailed questions on training that I can't ask answers. So I like that. You need some reinforcements for these. I need a wingman for training. Um, (laughs) But they like that. They they know why they're there. But there's no managers invited. And really... I want them to hear from me and I want them to feel accessible to me. And, uh, you know, the output of that has become, I hear a lot about approachability and our, the importance of approachability from our techs. Some of them just call me and have a lot of fun with me on the phone once in a while to catch me off guard. Like, what are you doing? And I'm like, uh, working. And they're like, oh, I just called say hello. And I'm like, great. I love hello conversations. So then we'll talk. And I'll check in with them about work, but also family stuff. And we have a really good time. But, you know, that accessibility is really important to me. I want all of our frontline workers to feel that I'm accessible. Is it is it perfect? No, but I, I put intent around it with a lot of a lot of things like that, right? It's the town halls. It's the reach outs. I do six reach outs a week to our frontline workers personally. Um, I have a lot of fun with contests from them. We're doing one right now between Memorial Day and Labor Day where our on-call technicians from the weekend, uh, we pick 10 at random every Monday and we send them a little grilling kit for the summer since they're away from their families. Um, It comes from a company in Chicago. So it's got the Chicago vibe of hot dogs and stuff in there. Um, But we have a lot of fun like that. I I just feel uh, that personal connection is really important with our frontline work. Have there been any feedback or stories that you've received doing those town halls that really caught you off guard? Um, yes. Uh, two places. One, um, during the pandemic, there was a, you know, you hear about all this stuff in the news and, you know, the human impact of that is really hard to understand. Uh, I had a technician tell me a story of being in a nursing home facility Um, and working literally outside under a tent, right? Because he couldn't go in. But then having the food service person come outside and, you know, have to unzip himself from his Tyvek suit, from being inside the facility to talk to the technician. And then, you know, having the food service guy tell the technician about how many people died in this facility. It's like, it was moving for me. I was almost in tears just hearing him have to talk about that. And you never think about, here's a guy we dispatched out to fix some kitchen equipment. And that just, that impression sits with me and I'm sure it sits with him to this very day. So yes, I mean, to answer your question, I have example after example, look, business improvements, I get those all the time. So like, hey, is the wrong tires, the wrong brakes, I didn't get a remote, 
Um, I get a lot of feedback on the business improvements. I don't want to uh, minimize those because that's important for me to hear that. But the impression of them as frontline workers and what they experience in the field is things that I remember, right? I take away from those and I'm like, wow, they really make a material impact in society. And, you know, I just gave you one example, but there is a lot of other examples like that. We're humans working with other humans, right? So right. it's it's easy to let our minds slip into supply chain challenges and parts availability. And like you said, you know, issues with the fleet and what vehicle they got. And all that yeah, absolutely. Stuff. I mean, I, I get that. And I love the guys for that, right? Give them a nice big hug. Sometimes they solve big problems too, by the way. We had we had an issue with uh, what we call not to exceeds a number of weeks back. And I was unaware of it and they kind of poked at it with me. And then I asked a couple of other frontline workers, our billing team, um, essentially, and they validated it. So then we went out, we kind of developed an initiative to go solve for that with our customers, right? Um, so they do bring real business concerns that we have to fix. But what sticks with me is the stories and the impact of what they see, right? Um, having a technician avoid a collision is an example. And then literally park on the side of the road, get out of his truck and sit there. And even though he wasn't involved, he could have been, he was seconds away. And we, we had the video seconds away from being in the collisions himself, but he swerved and he could have just kept going and he did not pulled off to the side of the road, went back there and stayed till the police and the ambulances got there. Right. He didn't, did he have to do that? No, but he did. So um, those are the stories that stick with. You know, we launched this series in the the midst of COVID. Mm -hmm. And so as we we feel like we're, you know, for the most part, we're on the backside of that. We're still all recovering in some way, shape or form. Businesses are still recovering and now dealing with kind of new problems. So we're not talking about COVID the same way. One of the things, if there was a silver lining to COVID at all, there were some things, I think, if we can just say that. Um, one of those things is that I think the all of us, maybe maybe you and I knew this already, um, yeah. but a lot of other people got visibility to the role that frontline workers play. And it's actually not just about the work that they perform, but it's about the fact that they are the face of your company, your, yep. your brand to your customer, and that they are not just dealing with machines on the other side of that transaction. Yes, there's probably a machine involved on the work order and an asset and parts and you know SLAs and that kind of stuff. But yep. there are also, as you just described, there are humans on the other side of that story right. as well. And I think the one good thing that COVID really did was bring out a lot of that human element. It made us realize that this isn't just a company dealing with a company, but it's a person dealing with another person or people and people. And I, I actually think that that's something good. And, and as we're talking this through a little bit, it makes me realize that we all have an obligation to make sure that as, as the weeks and months where COVID is behind us, you know, as that kind of extends out, this is something we need to hold on to from COVID. We need to maintain that uh, memory that these are real people dealing with other real people and, you know, they're dealing with change and, and all the other things that are going on in their lives. And that's a really important element of this. I totally agree. And, you know, I had a, um, we had a sales meeting about six or eight months ago and one of our sales team members from um, Dallas, Fort Worth uh, came to me 
because he had heard on one of the other um, podcasts I had done a little bit about my 11 second elevator pitch about what we do. And he came to me, he's like, you know, that made a impression. And in the elevator pitch, just to summarize it really quickly was um, we, I was interviewing our, our current marketing leader. She's wonderful. And, you know, I ran into her in our lobby as we're going upstairs to do the interview. And I didn't know who she was, but she says, give me your elevator pitch. And, you know, our elevator took like about 30 seconds to get to our floor. And I said, um, do you like going to restaurants with your family? And she goes, yeah, of course I do. And I said, what does that mean to you? She goes, it's a reconnect for me and my family, right? And I said, do you, do you have a favorite on the menu? Yeah, she goes, typically, I, I, there's a few things I would choose, right? Can, pretty consistently. And I said, if the waiter came back to you when you were with your family having dinner and said, we can't make that tonight because it's broken. Our equipment isn't working. How does that make you feel? And she goes, well, it's kind of disappointing. It's a distraction to what I'm trying to do with my family there. And I have to find something new and I'm fumbling around. And I said, that's what we fix. We don't fix the equipment. We fix that experience. So fast forward. So that was heard by one of our sales team members who came up to me. And um, he's like, yeah, you know, it was really funny. Your message resonated with me. I was working on a, a large school district in Texas. And I was talking to the food service director. And the food service director says, we serve 40,000 meals a day to students in this school district. Um, I think it was two or three times a day. I'm like, wow. I go, so tell me a little more. I want to hear, right? I want to know where you're going with this. Now I'm, I'm getting a little excited, right? I want to hear his uh, narrative. And he's like, you know, the food service director says, some, for some of those kids, it's their only meal of the day. Like they're impoverished. So school is not only education for them, it's where they get their nourishment for the day. And he said, there's a material difference between having a hot hamburger and having a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And that like was like very moving for me. Like that, the experience, he goes, Giener, I said to him, that's what we fix. And I'm like, you got it. That's exactly right. That's what, that's what our technicians, that's what our frontline workers do is they fix that. They, they make sure those hamburgers go out because if it's to that child that that's the only warm meal they're going to have today, that is a difference we just made. And I, I have a lot of passion around those experiences and I talk about them a lot with our technicians now. That's amazing. That's such a, a great story. It is a good elevator pitch, by the way, too. But it's, <laughs> it, it's it's also a really good way to keep everybody focused on on really what matters. You know, yeah. again, kind of goes back to the human element to that. That that leads me to something else. You you shared with me kind of a mandate that you have with managers spending some time out in the field, mm -hmm. and um, just getting to know you as I have been getting to know you. I imagine that this that that mandate is is tied to making sure that they have some visibility to what's actually happening out there. Can you share with us a little bit more about that mandate, what you're hoping to accomplish with that? Yeah. So I'll give you a sense. Um, back in September of 2021, right as we were coming out of the pandemic and people were feeling a little more comfortable going out, albeit still with masks and, you know, we're kind of in that transition period. Um, Labor Day month, I came up with an idea to the team. I said, Hey, it's Labor Day month. It's our first time being able to do this. I want every manager that lives in a market where we have service technicians, because we had some remote worker, workers yeah. that don't, yeah. um, to go and spend a half a day with technician and unplug, just 
understand the work that, that our technicians do and understand our customers. That's what I want you to do. And this will be the third year this September that we're doing it. Um, and in parallel, uh, the direct managers of all of our technicians uh, as of earlier this year are expected to spend two to three days a week visiting technicians in the, in the field. I feel like that's the whole accessibility I was talking about earlier, not only for myself, it's a little bit of the, they're the most important piece. And for some of them, they start at home and they finish at home. So they don't get to interact with it. Like, there's phone calls and emails and we'll talk technology here in a little bit. But at the end of the day, nothing is like seeing a person and having them sit down with you and valuing you and sharing a cup of coffee or maybe holding their tool bag for them just makes a difference. It makes them feel like, you know, care about them as team members of our organization. And more importantly, recognize that the work they do as frontline workers is really important and hard. Yeah. Right? Hey, have there been any important feedback moments that you've gotten from, from those folks? I, I suspect some managers, just if we were to take a cross section of the whole team, I, I don't know any of your team members, so I'm not yep. accusing any of them that listen. Uh, but I suspect some of them rolled their eyes and were like, oh, come on, oh, you know, is this, is this really important? You know, have you had any experiences where maybe one of those eye rollers came back and said, hey, man, okay, I had I had a good experience and, and this was worth it? Yeah, is the experience I had was last year, I want to say it was in the West. So if, if the manager that remembers this says it's in the East, feel free to send me a note or a text. Um, I want to say it was in the West, called me and uh, he he went out and he spent a couple of days in the field and he had, he was completely unaware that one of his better technicians was about to leave the organization, right? Uh, tech had just got real disenchanted, didn't feel like the communication was there, didn't feel like anyone was hearing him with some of the problems, which were all solvable, by the way. Um, and spent a day with the tech and the tech just kind of unloaded on the man. And it's fine, by the way, as when I say unloaded, I mean, it. that's, that's right? good. Yeah. And, um, he ended up being able to work through that and the technician still works for us today. And, you know, that's, we would have missed an opportunity and lost a great team member in the organization, a great technician in the organization, because, you know, we didn't, we weren't out there and in front of it. Right. So those types of stories give me hope that yes, there are definitely eye rollers. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit of a math, mathematics guy at times. I'm sure the 80, 20 rule applies here too, right? 20% yeah. of them are probably eye rollers and, and that's okay. Like if, if I have to bring them to kind of see the value of it, I I'll take that challenge on as the leader of the organization every single day. Yeah. Have you found any ways to share those stories that, some of your managers are coming back with to maybe help convert some of the 20% that's still a little reluctant? Yeah, I try to, you know, I, I do my, in addition to my town halls, I have uh, monthly all calls. So where appropriate, I try to bring in some of those stories for our broader audience to hear. Um, but I also, we do in this like uh, technician recognition month that we do in September, we try to share stories about these technicians every day that we find out. So we broadcast where it's comfortable and then where it's appropriate, of course. Um, but you know, we try to broadcast as much as we can. It's important, right? People are people and they want to, they want to hear about themselves too. Why wouldn't you? Right. Of course. Mean, you know, you, my job is no more important than any of theirs at all. Yeah. 
I'm not a big fan of reality TV shows generally, especially just the goofy ways that they're produced these days. But one show that I love when I catch a glimpse of it is Undercover Boss. Oh. And and a lot of what you're talking about today reminds me of, of those types of experiences. And I know it's a highly produced show and I know they're pulling out all the specific segments, you know, um, to, to make it an interesting TV show. But I do love the fact that that show ends up not being a lot about the business processes and things like that in the organization. It ends up being a lot about the people. And exactly. oftentimes I do kind of scratch my head at times that some of these leaders hadn't thought about going out in the field sooner until they <laughs> had a chance to be on a TV show. So you're you're doing this. I, I love what you're doing. I love the investment yeah. that you're making. I am kind of scratching my head wondering how you have any time for anything else. When it does seem that you are spending, you know, an overwhelming majority of your time with your teams out in the field, but I can't think of a better place to to put your priorities right now. That sounds yeah. Awesome. I, I, I look. I have time for if I don't have time for the people that drive this organization, then yeah. I'm not the right leader for the organization. Like I'll just be very blunt about that with you. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not going to move off of that. I think it's important, and you know, the funding question comes up. Like, how do you fund all this stuff, right? You know, you, I gave you the example. One of our techs gave me feedback uh, during COVID and said, hey, you know, we have these iPads and we have office, but we don't have access to Teams. And I'd like to FaceTime my dispatcher every once in a while or my manager or some of my other technicians. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, we don't have it. So then, of course, I validated the technology team reports. And I'm like, why don't we have that? They're like, oh, well, you know, the cost for license was some number. And I said, put it on all, give them access to all of it. I'm like, Keener, you know, it's going to cost us, I forgot what it was. It, it, let's just say it was somewhere between ten dollars and $50,000 a year. I, I don't remember the exact yeah. number. And I said, look, if I save one tech, I paid for a good portion of that. If I save two or three, I paid for it all there. I paid for all of it and then some. Because the communication and that personal touch that it enables, I guarantee you has an impact on our turnover in our business. So for me, the, that's how I think about it. Like, how do you rationalize all these investments for technicians? Easy. Like, what's your turnover rate? Go fix it, right? Because every time you improve that turnover rate by one percentage point, trust me, there is payback on it. And more importantly, you're building a much stronger culture in your organization by doing that. So don't don't think that initial investment won't pay back when you're talking about a frontline workforce that, you know, in, in much cases has become more and more disconnected since COVID from being part of a team, right? Because of remote work. Like, don't do that to yourself. Like, don't overthink it. The payback is simple. Retention. That's the way you pay for it. Why do you think that your industry peers struggle with what you just talked about to the extent that they do because i i don't know if you've witnessed this i know you go to a lot of industry events around you yeah. know service and things like that and yeah. what, what i've experienced is that many leaders of organizations similar to yours are really struggling to get over the perception of risk about spending money that they can't measure perfectly the return that they'll get even though when you just describe it it sounds so plainly obvious that it's yeah. a no-brainer um, for a couple of reasons. One, you know, being somebody who understands the environment of structured siloed organizations over time, um, there is a little bit of the risk aversion. I don't want to risk my job for a really kind of crazy out there idea. So 
it's easy for the president and COO guy to say that because, you know, if he makes a mistake, he'll be like, oh, I made a mistake. So they're not empowered to make a decision like that, to be fair to them. So I want to be fair to all those listeners because I understand the, the angst that comes with that. Um, I think the other reason is people tend to overthink the obvious. They're looking for an ROI and some magical KPI to give them an ROI metric that they can substantiate when if you just look at the base ROI and say, hey, what is my turnover? Oh, wow, that's bad. Uh, I can just conservatively take that thing down three or 4% and I will make a meaningful impact to the PL, right? Because the, the onboarding, the hiring expense, the training, the turnover itself, the upfitting, all that costs you money every time you lose a, a technician in our case, but a frontline employee in general, right? I was in, I was in quick service restaurants where the turnover was 100%. Right. So you don't, you know, you want to talk about expensive, you know, well, we don't want to pay that guy $14 an hour. Well, what are you going to go pay the new guy? Oh, 13, but the productivity, getting him to be as productive as your $14 an hour for current worker, like you're overthinking the obvious. Don't make, don't try to rationalize obvious things They're right in front of you. Step back and look at it and say, not, I'm going to pay him 14 bucks an hour and keep him because the efficiency I get out of him is great. He's got a good attitude and he wants to be here then. Right. So why not embrace that? Yeah. I had lunch with somebody today who said that they stopped frequenting a particular establishment because they were always short staffed mm -hmm. and they were getting frustrated. They had been regulars at this place for quite some time and they stopped being regulars and found a new place to be regulars at because of exactly what you just said. So, you know, what would the impact have been if that facility owner had held on to one or two more people, kept them active, prevented that, you know, uh, the attrition and kept another customer. And, and I didn't talk to all of their customers. I just happened to talk to one of them, <laughs> you yeah. know, but how many times did that impact their business overall? Yeah. And, the, you know, look, we're all labor challenged, right? It's yeah. an environment where the frontline workforce is just shrinking. It just yeah. is. However, the needs of the end consumer are growing, right? So you, you have kind of opposites happening out there, right? The expanding environment of people want more services and the constraining workforce of frontline workers. You know, as leaders, our organization, our differentiation, our reason to exist and for people to want to be part of our organization, um, we have to be accessible. We have to make sure that they feel like they're in an environment where they can grow both financially and professionally, right? Or you know, it's fine for I'm anchoring that a service technician should be able to be a, a service technician his whole career if that's what he chooses, or a trainer or a salesperson, give them the ambition that there's growth for them. So they're looking for growth and, you know, compensation that's a provide to their family. They're looking for growth, growth of self, right? Give me training so I can grow me as a person and an individual and then show them the future. Right, because they want to make sure that there's stability for them long term. You you have to you have to do that and give them reconciliation. Otherwise, you're just a job, and frontline workers going to go from here to here to here to here, and until they land in that spot that checks those three boxes, they're going to keep moving. Yeah, I think that's really well said. You've talked about some things today that I think some people might describe as experiments, or you know, you talked about the risk aversion before. You have an interesting perspective on kind of 
the, the risks and you mentioned waiting for failure, not being able to wait for failure to start something new. I, I'd like to kind of drill into that a little bit. T tell me what you mean by that. Yeah, I think, um, you know, someone taught me a, a while back this idea of fail fast, right? And and I've taken that a little bit differently. And I said, don't wait for failure to start something new. Um, it's totally fine to say, hey, I'm doing this and it's working and everything is stable. So let's just leave it alone. That's kind of the thought process, even though out here, there might be a better version of that somewhere, right? So, the, so don't wait for a stable process to fail. Step back from it and say, hey, what could that be if I kind of injected some thought into it? How could I make that better? How could I make it the experience for our frontline workers improved if I just took that and maybe did it totally differently or it just improved that process itself? Because if you run the fail, then it's like, well, now you're kind of picking up the pieces and it's already too late. Don't do that. And also in parallel has a second meeting. Go do multiple things at once and have a little bit of fun and experiment, right? There's nothing wrong with that, you know? Depending on the size of the business, the experiment has to be catered to your size, right? In our case, we're large enough where I can do things in different markets and test, but go do it. I mean, what harm is it to the business? Trust me, it is not going to ruin your business. It will not. As a matter yeah. of fact, if one of those things flows through as a positive, it might have such a positive impact on your business, you're going to wonder why you didn't do it years ago. I think that that's probably the bigger regret in most cases is, you know, not doing something versus trying something and having it not go as planned. And I, I think one of the things, and I'm not nitpicking on your phraseology here, but I think we do use the term fail pretty often. And I, I wonder if that's maybe part of the problem in that we, we associate experimentation as if there's a pass or fail at the end of that. And I think that may be one of the, the fundamental flaws in how we think about it or communicate about it. Because I believe that what you're saying is that at the end, if an experiment didn't go as you expected, it's actually not a failure. It's just a learning experience for everybody in the organization, right? Which by definition shouldn't be treated as a failure. Yeah. And um, so regardless of you know uh, how you have phrased that, I know that your team, just based on getting to know you here and how you would position that with your teams, I imagine that you're encouraging that behavior so that we can continuously learn as we're trying new things inside the organization. Yeah. I mean, if we, what is the detrimental impact if we fail? And that's, I always say like, give me the risk if we fail. Well, you know, Giener, you know, we could, um, as long as it's not people is the, is the cat, what I'll say, the collateral damage isn't people. Right. I can recover from losing $10,000 because we tried something that didn't work, right? Yeah. We'll figure out a way to recover on, on things like that. And I'm not being dismissive of cash so that all the listeners are like, oh, this is great because he's the big guy who can talk like that. Yeah. Being not just being dismissive of cash. I'm just saying, like, be real with yourself. Like, go try it and have a good time. And look, if your team learns something, maybe the second iteration won't be a failure, right? Right. That's the way to think about it. It's iterative. You, you want to build something great. You got it within that iterative approach. You're going to fail at times, maybe on all, some, or none of it, right? But you have to be able to get, let them learn and fail and then keep going. Yeah, that's good. We, we talk a lot about technology on this show. There is an element of innovation 
from a spirit of deploying technology with large frontline workforces. And I want to make sure before we wrap this conversation up to get some input from you, you talked about the, the team's deployment and making the justification. So we, we kind of talked about that from a, an observation from one of your teams asking for Microsoft Teams with a capital T yeah. um, to, to implement that. But I'm, I'm curious about your implementation of that and the work order management solution that you have in place today. How have you gone about ensuring that everybody in the field knows how to use the technology and, and provide support solutions for them when they have questions? Yeah, we're, we're, we're still in our journey. So I'll caveat this okay. for the listeners, right? This is all a journey, even for us, right? Um, we spelled, spent a lot in training and especially this year, we came out of COVID and we made a firm commitment to invest in more training for our frontline workers, right? So that means pushing out training. That means online training through LMS systems. Uh, we've enabled all of our technicians to have iPads in the field, um, that's the choice we made from a hardware standpoint. I'm not, I'm not the iPad versus the Android guy. It's just a choice we made. I want to debate this with you right now. No, I'm just kidding. We don't have to do that. <laughs> you know, everyone's got views of that. <laughs> what I'd say is invest small, start small on the technology side, um, and use it as a leverage point to help unlock value for your team members and your frontline workers, right? So for us, it was how do we push out training to technicians for the work order solutions or for behaviors that we want to work with them on when you have a workforce of, you know, 1300 technicians in the field, right? You can't do that by class. I can't build enough classrooms to train 1300 people. But if I can record a video in a classroom and articulate to them what we're trying to do, push it to them on an LMS system, have them watch it and report back, now I feel good that I'm starting to reach that audience and get the adoption of what I'm trying to accomplish, right? So just think about it that way. Now, if you would ask me that 10 years ago, I'd be like, hey, I'd be great just putting an iPad in their hand and letting them tinker with it for the first year and getting comfortable with it, right? So depending on where you're at with your journey, think of it that way. So if you're on pen and paper today, which a lot of frontline worker service, or service organizations are, completely fine. I would say sooner than later, get them one of these smart things, smartphones, smart tablets, put it in their hands and let them start tinkering with it. Cause the first rule of adoption is they have to feel comfortable with what they're using and give them some time to do that. Time is an interesting element. This, this comes up a lot on this podcast in, in that our frontline workers tend to be driven a lot by time managed by time, I guess I should say. Yep. How many work orders can they get done in a day? How many customers yeah. can they see? How many deliveries can they do? All of that kind of stuff. Have, have you, kind of contemplated how to free up some of that time from their calendar to give them some space? Because what, what you're dealing with here is a, is a change management dilemma, right? We know that we need to give them space, but we still have to keep the business running at the same time. How have you kind of shoehorned in that time in there? Yeah, time? I would say we could get better there because we we haven't really addressed it directly. Um, however, I want to give our training team a lot of credit because they carve out time for a lot of the training activities that kind of force it into the schedule yeah. um, with without... You know, essentially, they're telling operations, we need an hour of the time tomorrow so we can have this technician as captive, right? And you got to commit. That's the investment piece, right? Um, at the same time, yeah, you're right. All those metrics are, I mean, you're, you hit them all head on. And, uh, but I will say, we will, we will need to invest more of that time 
um, into these frontline workers if we really expect to connect with them, right? So in aggregate, all these things that we do, the town halls and the training and the reach outs, all that's invested in time, unbillable time, which is right. okay, right? Because again, you have to work on improving um, the culture and the retention of your organization. That's a passion of mine. I think that will pay dividends for this organization into the future. So I'm focused there. I mean, you said you said it, which is the the big problem is the fact that it's unbillable time. It's not yeah. just time, but it's unbillable yeah. time. It's taking away from the revenue generating uh, activities, and it's actually an increment to cost potentially, right? Um, but it it does when when you talk about it the way that you do with such a strategic view of the positive long term impacts that it will have in the organization. I mean, it really becomes a no brainer in that regard. For sure, Justin. I mean, look, how, how much is it going to cost me if that technician quits? How much unlock unbuilt revenue am I gonna have then? Right. I go from losing an hour to losing 160 hours in a month, yeah. right? Or 159. Sorry, I'll net out the one hour I would get back. Exactly. I'd rather give up the one and get the 159, right? It's yeah. just, you know, again, common sense. If we just step back a little bit and pause, it tells us how how to direct traffic. Yeah. That's great. Such great input. I do need to uh wind things up. We're already uh, past our time here. I'm curious if, if before we part, if there's kind of one best practice that you can share with the rest of the audience that I, I'm particularly interested in, in this kind of cost justification piece. I, mm. I think you're, you're in a position where you might be able to override some yeah. pushback That's right. that some of our listeners may not be over to, able to override. And I'm curious for folks that are in you know, other parts of the organization that may have upward and downward, you know, justification, how can they do a better job of, of justifying these things that you talked about today that are, are kind of so matter of fact in your mind, but may not be in, in some organizational cultures? Yeah. If you center your, all organizations are centered around two things at the end of the day, they're centered around the customer and they're centered around their people, right? You know, how high up though each of those are, are, you know, up for debate and depending on your organization is a little different. The way I think about it is present, present it as a plan that improves it for the people of your organization, the customer and or your frontline workers and say, here's what I have a lot of conviction around. I believe we can reduce the turnover of our frontline workers or I believe we can reduce the turnover of our customers if we go do this, right? But you got to trust me and you got to let me go deliver on it. And again, don't go for the grand slam on the first one. A single is fine. Present the plan as something small. Hey, I want to go test this, right? Uh, and I want to go fail fast with it, right? If we kind of loop in a few things we talked about today. Yeah. And, and go do that. Don't try The grand slam will come later, trust me, because if it works, it's easy for you to make the single a double and a double a triple and a triple a home run, right? It's easy to kind of move down the steps then to say, hey, the, the pilot worked. I'd really like to go do three or four more of these. And no executive in their mind like myself will stop you or get you in the way of that if you have momentum. But yeah. go small. Always think about the people. And I think you'll unlock a lot of value in your organization and you'll get more yeses than noes. I think that's great advice. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. I'm glad uh, we got to talk about that here at the end. And I do need to wrap it up. So for our audience, I hope you found this conversation as enjoyable as I have. I knew this was going to be a good one. And uh, certainly I think that it was. 
like to thank you very much, Giener, for your participation in uh, today's episode. And I do welcome to the audience, we welcome your ideas for future themes or topics that we can discuss in the show. So please feel free to leave a comment on the Frontline Innovators uh, LinkedIn page with any thoughts that you have about that. Friendly reminder that this podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the only end-to-end systems training platform optimized for frontline operations. You can learn more about how you can solve your frontline systems training challenges by visiting skillful.com. That's S-K-Y-L-L-F-U-L.com. Thank you very much. And we look forward to having you on our next episode. Keener, thanks again. Thanks, Justin.